Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. Let me rephrase that. I am your host, Captain Michael Flores. There you go. If you are new to our show, we cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes, and we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating and drop a review. It helps our show grow and get seen by more people. We need you, the listeners. Also, if you're on YouTube, press that subscribe button. Help us stay alive. We need the assistance. We drown sometimes in the sea of corporate podcasts, so please help us. Now, in the studio, and you've already heard his voice. Today with me is Ensign David Sabal. Hello, David. Hello, everybody. All right. So you ready to talk some Lower Decks? And some Voy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love this show. I love this show so much. It's such an easy watch, and it's always fun. Oh, dude. And it it, it just hits every single Star Trek fan in in the good feels department because they do the nostalgia thing about all all the stuff that we've grown up with. You know, making callbacks to even merchandise <laughs> that they've sold in the past. I'm sorry. The fact that Boimler has an entire plate set. Oh, dude, please. Give, me, Star- give me that. And Star Trek's infamous for that. Star Trek has, has like the plate. David. Memorial plates yeah. everywhere. You don't need to tell me that, Dave. I own them. That's why I felt very ashamed of myself. I was like, I'm telling you, oh, man, Boimler's I, I, us. I, no, I know this. Like we keep saying that. We keep saying that Boimler represents us, us. The, the ultimate Star Trek nerds. And here we are again. And I relate not to the cool characters. No, I relate to, to Boimler, Boimler because that is me. I own Star Trek plates. I bought them in the nineties when I was young. My mom bought them for me as presents. I mean, my poor mother, she didn't have a great job. She, you know, we were, you know, Mexicans, you know, growing up, she had to clean houses. She had to clean toilets so I can have a gold plated Star Trek Trek plate plate. from the Hamilton collection. (laughs) Mom, can I have this? She looks at the price. It's, it's $120, Michael. I'm like, yeah, it's really cool. It has Kirk and it's from Star Trek four and voyage home. Let me have it, please. Let me have it, please. She's like, okay, let me go, let me go work for an extra two hours. But yes, Boimler is sadly. All of us. Yeah. So today we are talking episode three. We'll always have Tom Paris. So yes, this episode had a very special guest appearance. 
by the one and only Captain Proton himself, Tom Harris <laughs> of Star Proton. Trek Voyager fame, or simply Void. We can just go with that. I'll go with Void because I, I, I believe that when they did that, I was like, going, I had to think to myself, a lot of us Voyager fans, yeah, they do refer to yeah. it as Void. Yeah, that, that's why it, this show continues to make me laugh because I think one of my favorite things about Lower Decks is a lot of the meta aspects when they include elements from the fandom into the show and use them as part of the Trek's the Trek lexicon. Yeah. You know, the internet shorthand or the cyber slang that we've all adapted to over the years because of, you know, the rise of the internet and chat rooms from the nineties. I mean, one from last season that I liked a lot was, it was the TOS. Yes. And they said those old guys, you know, for the TOS. You know what's funny is because I'm so used to saying TOS that when they actually said that last season, I didn't even it didn't register. It didn't register until I believe Mariner said, "Wait, what? TOS? What's that?" And I'm like, "Oh shit, he just said TOS." And then he said, "Those old guys. (laughs) Those old guys." It it took a while for it to hit that he even used that. So this show finds a way to include the meta aspect so well, and. In a way that really connects to Star Trek fans. I wonder, Dave, do you think, because I haven't had a chance to talk to, you know, newer Star Trek fans about this. Do you think they are able to enjoy this series as much as Star Trek fans like us? Or do you think this is a series designed specifically for elitist Trek fans? No, I think, uh, I think this is actually designed to actually bring in a new audience, especially with, So you don't think they need to understand everything to appreciate it? No, because like most of the jokes are all the reactions of the characters is what brings in the, the, brings in the laughs. And that's why I like about it is kind of like Mike McMahon has a way he, he, he's done this in Rick and Morty and also in the other series that I really like of his, um, I can't think of it. right. Solar opposites. Solar opposites. Yeah. Where he'll throw in nostalgia but he'll he'll throw it in the dialogue so that we're not we're not focused on the nostalgia we're focused on the reaction of the of the characters and and in, especially in this episode this episode to me was like a love letter to voyager because if you look at how they're getting us ready for prodigy yeah how how everything was kind of Taylor made to feel like a Voyager episode in a way, you know, you have like, wasn't Boilmer humming the Voyager song as he was walking? I thought so. Okay. I thought so. Okay. I think there was just a moment where he was doing it. And, and I was like going, even like the, the, the way the story pans out, you have like these really dark, serious moments followed by some levity, (laughs) some really off the ball (laughs) levity. And I'm like going, yeah, Voyager, was infamous for that. They will do an episode that is just dark. Yeah. And Voyager depressing. Had, uh, yeah, dude. Voyager had some very unsettling episodes. That's I mean, how I, many times did the crew die? Yeah. But then like, oh no, we didn't. This is the other crew. This is that the survived. other crew. That's this what, was a metallic crew that was formed by us touching them and they gave us or we gave them our memories. Our and memories. now they're destined to live on this planet. It, it's there's some very strange episodes that are very TOS worthy in tone and style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, even in this one, I mean, the story of Rutherford at this point, dealing with his yeah. guilt 
yeah. over the guy, and then they get this really dark, serious moment, but they never they never go back to it. No, they just play into those Star Trek tropes. They play into the Star Trek tropes. Just enough so that we as Star Trek fans understand what they're doing. Yeah, I, I totally dig it. I love it. So, yeah, Dave, we got our first official guest appearance of the season, and Tom Parrish is a big one. He's no doubt one of the more popular characters from Voyager. More guest spots are coming as well. Yeah. If we are to believe some of the internet rumors, this is just the beginning. We are supposed to be getting a lot more this year. Well, yeah, everyone everyone going into the season just thought, oh, it's going to be the, the big name is uh, Riker. That yeah. Jonathan Franks. Is he a guest appearance anymore? Or is he kind of like a, a Barkley <laughs> character now? Like off again, on again. A, I think he's turned into because of how good Riker has been portrayed. Yeah. He's turned into that Barkley character. God bless, but like, God bless Star Trek Lordex. But like then you found out then we found out like in, through through news outlets that there's gonna be more people coming in. Or you know, you you just basically brought the one that for this episode was Tom Paris. I would never, ever have thought of that actor coming back and doing that character again. Well, because he's so far removed. He's so far removed. I mean, sure, he's involved in Star Trek conventions, but who's not involved in Star Trek conventions? When it comes to actually casting Star Trek, he's been so far removed. I know there was a rumor, and I believe he actually talked about it on a podcast, uh, that he was supposed to be originally... Uh, Robert, what's his, what's his, uh, his real name? Robert McNeil, it, Duncan McNeil. Does that sound right? I think it's McNeil. Uh, I honestly don't even know his real name, which is very Robert sad. Duncan McNeil. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I was right. Um, yeah, there was, uh, he was discussing that he was supposed to be originally in the first season of Picard. Yeah. And it was a smaller role, but honestly, with and not to get negative, just the way they even handled Picard, honestly, I'm kind of they, they got Seven of Nine completely wrong. Her characterization was totally off. It wasn't Seven of Nine; it was Sarah Connor. I'm actually glad they didn't bring Paris into the series because would he have even been actually Paris? Who knows at this point? Exactly. So, and honestly, even pertaining to Picard bring in all the guest spots you want bring into lower decks but with Picard be hesitant because I don't know if we want to see them destroy certain characters exactly and please listeners out there if you love Picard good I'm glad you did but um, I had some problems (laughs) so lower decks is also bridging the Trek errors together while also filling in the blanks within the um a TNG and DS9 Voyager era, I would say, right? Oh, uh, during this episode, we saw Quark's bar was that spotted was cool. on the planet uh, Quelar. And the reason why I say a Quark's bar is because I believe we can assume at this point that Quark has, a franchise. has established a franchise. <laughs> yes. Because in Picard season one, Stardust City Rag, I believe was the name of the episode. Yes planet they went to in Picard was called Free Cloud. It was a casino planet. We saw another Quark's bar. So it looks like, Dave, we could all be happy for Quark because he actually did make it to the big time owning a franchise. A, an interstellar franchise? Which which is fantastic because, see, that's how you actually make us as 
Star Trek fans happy because we're, we're going, okay, our characters are happy and they moved on. But hey, I love what we've been given when it comes to Quark, at least, because he's always been one of my favorite characters. I love those Easily. characters that start off as rough and you're not sure if you're supposed to like them kind of in those gray areas. And then as the years go by, you realize that this character's heart is bigger than anyone's. Well, especially when you team him up with another fan favorite in Odo. Yeah. Him and Odo was, that was a, that was a dynamic duo. It was the best odd couple. It was the best odd couple ever. And then like Quark as a character himself, just is like, it's like the doctor from Voyager. They're, They're very, you get these great characters in Star Trek that weren't meant to be big. They weren't meant to be like the main line or even like the second, uh, second line. Like you see in TOS with Spock and, and Spock and Kirk in all the series. The thing I've always loved about star Trek is every character seemed to matter. And it, it never really dawned on me as a star Trek fan till I ran into a character like Barkley in TNG where also <laughs> you took a character that was completely background and you did you you dared to do various episodes just centered around him when he's not even part of the crew well dude barkley i, I want to see him again someday we have to i mean the fact that they even tied him into voyager and gave him barkley a, barkley would be perfect in lower decks dude you gotta say i don't understand how we have not <laughs> been given barkley because doesn't he you're right he's he, perfect for he this is absolutely perfect or lower decks. Barkley is has so many neurosis that he would fit perfectly on the Cerritos. Yeah. Now, David, I, I mean, we can confirm now. We know Quark stayed on D Space Nine as well. Yes. So he has at least, at the most, no, I should say at the at the least, he has three bars now. D Space Nine, D Space Nine, Quailar, and yeah, Free Cloud, and Free Cloud. Yeah, that's three. Yeah. So it makes, it makes you wonder who did Quark put in charge of the other two? Yeah. Because Quark is obviously never going to leave Deep Space Nine. No. He would never leave that, th- uh, his original bar. I think he loves it too much, even yeah. though he likes to talk shit about it. Now, Dave, there is another. I don't know if you caught this one. There's another. I wouldn't even call it an Easter egg. It's a reference in the background of that exact same scene where we saw Quark's bar that I have not seen one trade pick up on yet. And I just want to say the reason why they have it is because they're all fake fans. <laughs> they don't understand. There was also Vix in the background. Yes. Now people remember or don't remember Vic became a big part of deep space nine. Yeah. He was such an intelligent part. I want to say the last two seasons, it was a way for the writers to deal with social issues to help the characters flesh out their own emotional problems because of the ongoing war, especially Cisco. It wasn't, it wasn't dude, not especially it was all of them, dude. Yeah. Um, who's the, Oh my God. Eisenberg. Nog. Nog. Nog yeah. was a character. They, he had a, an amazing episode that took place at Vix. Quark. Odo. Odo finally came out to not came out. Uh, admitted his feelings to Kira because of Vic. Because of Vic. And if you think about it, dude, everyone, cites Voyager as creating the first true holographic character, but everyone constantly forgets about Vic. Yeah. Vic was a hologram. 
if he has his own place on Quaylar, that means he has been given uh, an amount of freedom, of freedom. As, as a free person. Something that Robert Bracado's doctor was adamant about achieving yes. for holograms, if you remember, giving them a sense of autonomy and agency over themselves. So it makes you wonder, well, yes, Vic was definitely a sentient type character, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, he was aware of everything. He was aware he was a hologram. He was uh, aware of who he was, what he was, his limitations. And he offered some of the most sound advice. He became essentially the counselor of the ship. And he was a hologram, a singer in Vegas, in yeah. Las Vegas. So to see that in the background as well was very, uh, it made me happy as a Star Trek fan. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is like when you, it's amazing that Mike McMahon really flexes. He's not a fake Star Trek fan. Yeah. He really flexes his Star Trek knowledge because He's pulling on things that true, true Star Trek fans would understand. That's why I say Lower Decks is for elitists, David, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> Let us all be elitists together while we watch this show. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about those normies. Yeah. You normies can enjoy Picard. <laughs> uh, okay. So, yes, as a DS9 fan and a Voyager fan, we're never going to get those mo- those movies that we've always listen, we we knew we would never get those movies, but we always wanted them, and and we know at this point that that ship has sailed. But when we get these moments in Lower Decks, and I just love how this series gives us old school Star Trek fans those little nuggets of information on how things turned out, because we'll never know. We'll never know. We're never. We're not going to get a Deep Space Nine movie. We're not going to get a Star Trek Voyager movie. The only way we're ever going to find out or get a peek into what happened after these shows is in series like this. Oh, easily, yes. And that's what that's that's the sad part, the tragic part of Picard. Picard was supposed to give us this. It did, Dave, and it did, but then it it didn't because we didn't want. To David, see the characters like that. David, it gave us Peter Pan gadgets. <laughs> Use your imagination. Use your imagination. And you can repair this ship. Here, look. Here's a brother that I didn't even know about. <laughs> yeah, here's a, a, a son of Soong that, uh, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. Whatever. Don't get me mad, please. <laughs> I will end this show right now. <laughs> All right. So when it comes to the, the episode itself, the narrative was actually structured in a way that really helped us get to know our characters a bit more. Oh yeah. We were given quite a bit in the way of development, specifically with Mariner and Tendi. Yes. This for me is one of the musts for this series. We have, we have to maintain that character driven aspect at all times, even if it's light or just a few lines of dialogue. I feel like there are a lot of writers nowadays that think, well, we don't really have time in this episode to add to this character because we're dealing with this. Well, hold on. I mean, relevant character development can come in a matter of seconds if it's strategically planned out. And when you have moments that we, even Boimler and Rutherford, I mean, I think they each had maybe three minutes of screen time. Yes. And yet we learn so much about them. The focus was definitely Tendi and Mariner. 
And I just love it because this is the reason why I'm going to continue to watch this show. And I will always watch this show as long as the characters are always being placed front and center. Yes. I love all the fun Trek stuff. It adds a lot of great value for me as a Trek fan. But the number one element must always be our characters and, and of course, how they're used to progress the overall the story, overall the episode itself. So the writer of this episode was M. Willis. Pretty much, you know, they are, they wrote this series, I should say, as a way to almost call themselves out for not pairing Mariner and Tendi up Tindy, sooner yes. uh, for any missions. But they created a scenario scenario that generated an opportunity to explore aspects of both characters that we have not seen before. Um, we have been given hints and clues into Mariner's aspects dealing with her, uh, I should say, her insecurities. We get more on that and reasons behind why she acts the way she does. Yes. At times, she can come off as obnoxious in a, in a lovable way at this point. I think early... Early on in the first season, it was a little annoying. But then when you started to realize what she was about and what she was doing, it made sense. It made sense. And rather than become annoying, it became, or I should say, stay annoying. It became more endearing and interesting to watch and see how this will be uh, fleshed out. And the fact that they're adding to that this season, I think is a very powerful way to write an episode that's, considered a fun cartoon because almost everything Mariner does reflects her insecurities, including, including the alleged type of men she likes. It's all a facade. So awesome. It's all a facade designed to explore the nuances of her inner self, her problems as a person, Yes, her overconfidence, her bravado. All of it is simply a way to hide who she really is because she's not comfortable she's with not comfortable. people seeing that. Because let's be clear here. She loves Boimler. Boimler. <laughs> yes. That's, In this episode, you find that out. That's the person she likes. Yes. Okay. But her extreme insecurities prevents her from actually sharing those feelings. And she has to pretend she likes these types of dudes that people expect <laughs> her to like. Yes. I fucking love it. It was so smart. Exactly. I love that scene where basically she starts hitting on, I believe it was like supposed to be Tendi's brother or uncle or something. (laughs) Yeah. And oh, I like, love guys like that. I love guys like that. And like Tindy just turns to her and says, what about you and Boimler? And she like freaks the fuck out. Yeah. And, and like, and like, like, that's a person getting caught and basically showing that, you know, down deep inside, you don't want to accept it. But Boimler is actually the guy that you want, you, you like. Yeah. I'm not going to say that, you know. They're trying to build a love relationship no, I, between yeah. Mariner and Boimler, but they're trying to, they're, they're showing that Mariner really does like Boimler. Yeah. And if it's a love thing, maybe, well, I don't know. Well, listen, she, she could be in love with him, but I'm not saying they're crafting a, a, a romance, lo- a romance story. story. Yeah. Cause that's not what this sh- series is about. It's no, no different than the relationship they built up between say Riker and Deanna Troy for seven years on TNG. Yeah. It never really went all the way. It was always like, Hey, we get ideas that they're really close. They, they care about each other, but then they also date and see other people. See but other then people. when it comes down to it, they come back together. Exactly. And that's kind of what they're doing with Boimler and Mariner. 
And and that's what I thought was really it was actually really impressive for me because like you could easily go down the trope of, Oh, they're trying to build a relationship between a romantic relationship right, between that, yeah. Boimler and Mariner. But in actuality, what Tindy was trying to actually say is Boimler, uh, Mariner really wants a friend like Boimler who, you know, Boimler's a nice dude. He's a little weird. I, I think <laughs> what it comes little... down to is, yes, there may be some type of feelings there, but it's not about that it's not relationship. About relationship. It's about her and how she deals with her feelings. Especially when you tie it into the fact, I love in that scene when Tendi basically brings up, you don't even know my first name. <laughs> and like Mariner's like, well, I always thought it was like, I think she says something like, I thought it was like something like Odo or something. Yeah, that's <laughs> like awesome. Going, oh, dude. That's so awesome. It, it shows the separation Mariner has to the people she calls her friends. Right. And it like, also shows that she's a little self-absorbed. She's self-absorbed. And yeah. like, I love the fact that basically they bring in the fact showing that to Mariner and then Mariner learning in the end and basically building an actual relationship with Tindy. And then by the end of it, that, that whole setup of her talking with Tindy Boimler and Rutherford in the end, you see that Mariner is growing and actually accepting the fact that these are my friends. These yeah. are the people that I want to be with. Mm -hmm. And you could easily in a, in a less gifted writer could go down bad tropes in, in storytelling. Without a doubt. And it just boggles my mind, dude. Lord Dex is the one series that. It gets character development. 100% correct. Get, yeah. It yes. gets character development. A hundred percent. Correct. And this is the series that, we as Star Trek fans have always been wanting to have a, uh, a Star Trek series that we can all rally around and tells about compelling characters. I mean, the one thing that was amazing too was like they could have easily just cut all the character, other characters out, but we got character growth from everybody. Every single one. You yep. got Rutherford. You could, you continue uh, Rutherford's relationship with Shax, which was freaking awesome. And like, I love the fact that Shax just basically still refers to him as, as baby bear yeah. because that's what he called him yeah. when he died. Yeah. Well, dude, the, the entire thing was mapped out in such a way that we got all of these fun Star Trek moments, character development, all within what? A running time of under 30 minutes. Under 30 minutes. I mean, we even got a lot on Tendi's own insecurities. And honestly, uh -huh. we, we haven't gotten an episode like quite like this when it comes to Tendi. Yeah, so we learned that Tindy has also major issues about her culture. This is something that was continued on from last season as well. You know, she has issues about her culture and the perceptions that others have of it. The Orions. Yes. This was something they leaned on last season as well. It's also an interesting non-preachy way of dealing with some, uh, I would say dealing with something that some Trek fans call problematic. The Orion people are slavers. Yes. And the women are essentially sex objects. Sex objects. But then you find out that, that the, the women who were thought to be slaves are secret, secretly manipulating all the males. <laughs> well, listen, that's society. And that's society in a nutshell, yeah, that's, dude. That's literally our society. Humanity. I'm like, I always make that joke, Dave, on every show. Like, listen, women, you know, say, hey, we need rights. We need rights. And 
Uh, yes, you absolutely do. But do. Over, you need those overt rights. Absolutely. But let's not pretend you haven't been ruling human <laughs> civilization <laughs> since the dawn of time. Because you have. Because you have. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. You know, men have killed for what, what women yeah. have. <laughs> Wars have been started because, you know, women whispering in their ears. <laughs> and that's what I, I really dug. And you I, know I like that too. The, the amazing part for me in that point in the episode it could have easily gone the preachy route and we could have actually seen something like what we, what we normally see in say something like discovery, right? Where they try to force the agenda. Well, I, yeah. But okay. here point taken. Yeah. But here it's actually t- taken as part of the story and very subtly they give a message. Yeah. Uh, an actual Star Trek. It's message. more in it, Yes. It's more embedded into the narrative itself Yeah, because it's not designed to pull you out of the series so you can have a more the more you know moment it's like hey listen this is the story and this is what we're telling you that's it like and now it's time to move on it's it's amazing to me mike that basically the best star trek writing that we have gotten in the last five years have come from an animated show in the lower decks and arguably a comic book in Star Trek Year Five. Yeah, and honestly, Dave, listen, no one's taking either seriously, unfortunately, yeah. except us Star Trek elitists, because there are mainstream Star Trek fans that probably will never watch this. Even though my family are huge Star Trek fans, I have continually told them, you have to watch Lower Decks. <laughs> yeah, okay, well. And then when I ask them, they're like, oh, no, nah, I don't want to watch that. Well, you know what? Then you're lost. <laughs> you're lost. So Rutherford stories, uh, Rutherford story, as you mentioned, was a funny way to call out a classic Trek trope and how many writers deal with the death of characters and the science behind it kind of being sketchy at best. Well, dude, but they did this by bringing Shax back. And I'm glad because he's an amazing character. That was a character that you and I both really gravitated to. Oh, yeah. Last season. Shax was freaking awesome. Yeah, I like that aspect. A boiler story was more the same, but in a good way. He's always a bit of a fish out of water. He doesn't quite fit into regular social circles. He's an oddball character, which Trek is filled with those types of characters. We mentioned one earlier in the show, Barkley. Mm -hmm. And also, let's be honest, a lot of many people struggle with this mentality, even if they aren't necessarily fish out of water and uncomfortable. Many of us feel that way. Oh, yeah, because, like, especially since you started the series showing that Boimler's story is about him trying to find the place that he belongs, that he feels happiest at. Yeah. And, like, he thought he belonged on the Titan. He found out really fast that that was not the place for him. Yeah. And and then when you get to here, I like the the continuing narrative showing that while he's happy he's happy to be on the cerritos the idea that he doesn't belong here because he left and now he's just coming back i actually really dug that because it showed that the writers still say hey boimler is his character development his theme is about trying to find a place where he belongs and the fact that the ship basically keeps telling him your un, un, uh, unrecognized authority. And throughout the entire episode, it drives Boimler insane. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a smart way to delve into something that truck has always done fairly well, particularly 
in the 90s era using the outcast characters as a way to make statements about accepting people as they are. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, Boimler is struggling to find a spot again on board the Cerritos. And the way they did this was, I thought, was very funny. <laughs> it was very funny. They devised the narrative to position Boimler back into that fanboy role, which is us. And he essentially is attempting to get a Star Trek Voyager Tom Paris plate signed. <laughs> and this eventually leads him to an all-out brawl with Tom Paris as Paris confuses him as a Kazon. Yeah, and you know what was so hilarious? I when dude, he when I he went, that when I saw how he looked, I'm like, he's a Kazon. Looks like a Kazon. <laughs> Are, this is what they're gonna do, right? Are they yeah. about to do something like this? And, and, and my, sure enough, my favorite part is Tom Paris looking at the camera. This is how we do things in the Delta Quadrant. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, yeah, it's they so don't, funny. They don't understand how much. They get characters so perfectly. I mean, we we've discussed how they they portrayed Riker, and Riker's just a portrayal of the character turned up to eleven. The way they turned they 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 showed Tom Paris, that's him turned up to eleven. Yeah, they exactly. <laughs> you're exactly right. Okay, Dave. So this does bring us to our final thoughts. We're not going to get into all the Easter eggs this week, just because there's so many. Yeah, and also it's just I'm kind of over it. Like every second in this show, not I'm not over in the show. I enjoy it, but I'm saying every second in the show is a reference or an Easter egg. Yeah. If you guys want to get those Easter eggs, just head over to. I usually don't promote other people's websites, but uh, Den of Geek always puts together pretty good. A pretty good list. Yeah, list of Easter eggs and references. And, I, and the reason why I like them for this is because they actually understand the differences. Unlike 99.9% of everyone else, else, they know the differences between Easter eggs and references. Yes. All right. So, Dave, my thoughts have been sprinkled throughout this entire discussion. So I'm going to keep it very simple. My RMD score is 95%. Go ahead, Dave. I'm actually right with you there. I'm, I have this actually written down as a 95% for this episode. This is my favorite episode of the season so far. Because while last, the, the, the last uh, episode was fantastic, this one, it, as a Voyager fan, it hit, me in the, it hit me in the feels because this felt to me like I was watching an old school Voyager episode done animated in more of a comedic feel and the fact that they talked about like you go from really funny moments to dark moments especially with shacks and shacks telling the secret of how they come back and it it scars uh rutherford yeah gave me the it gave it reminded me of when you know that that one episode me and you have talked about where uh neelix comes back from the dead oh yes right and it's so freaking dark because yeah. neelix doesn't tell anybody well, yeah and, and then like i'm like going that gave me the feels like he uh, mike mcmahon and his crew understand voyager and that in itself is something that i am so pleased about with this team because I've always felt that Voyager does not get its due. People think it's really bad. There's some Star Trek fans that say it's bad, but I'm like going, no, Voyager was had its decent points. Wait, who? People say Voyager's bad. Oh yeah, yeah. There's some Star Trek fans out there that do not like Voyager. Okay, you can't say it, but you may not like it for whatever reason. Let's say it's not your thing, but it's not bad. There are some amazing episodes. I I have had friends tell me. 
why do I like Voyager? Because they feel that Voyager is too goofy, too silly, and the story story doesn't make sense. So what do they like? Uh... TNG majority, majority, TNG has majority some really of, yeah. goofy episodes. Too. TNG. They always uh, a lot of my a lot of the people, a lot of my friends I talk to that do not like Voyager tell me that TNG is better. Listen, I love all Star Trek. Same here. I, I treat them like children. You know, you never love one child. You're not supposed to love one child over the other. I love all Star Trek equally, but I will say, Dave, that after rewatching all of the Star Treks, and I'm going to get very controversial here for our Lower Decks listeners, because I've never <laughs> said this on this particular edition of our podcast. Um, I've recently rewatched, and I rewatch literally all the time. A-, a night does not go by where I don't watch at least one episode of Trek, whether Trek. it be original series, Enterprise, Voyager, DS9, TNG, or Damn even here. a movie sometimes. Yeah. And I recently told myself over the last two years i'm just gonna watch all of them back to back and i have recently finished and i i finished with voyager i have to say because with all of it fresh in my mind voyager although although they have big issues with characters meaning you lose track you lose track of some of the characters they're just forgotten they don't have a lot of story. The overall story, if you look at Janeway, Seven of Nine, and The Doctor, I feel like Voyager is a better Trek. Are you ready, Dave? Then even TNG. Don't, and that's hard for me to say because I love TNG. I mean, TNG has some of the most intelligent philosophical episodes of all time. Oh, yeah. But what they did with Janeway. And how they took her, just this amazing arc. It rivals Cisco's arc. Mm-hmm. Picard's arc was all over the place, and it was great and beautiful. And what and how it ended for him was fantastic. But the the problem that TNG will always have to deal with is that they started in the eighties, and they weren't quite sure what they wanted to be. TV was changing, so they went from episodic to serial. Serial. There yeah. are moments that feel a lot like the TOS where you lose sight of emotional development because they move on and then they forget something happened. Someone died in their life. Ah, it's all right. Fuck it's all right. it. They're yeah. fine next week. So TNG will always have to deal with that. Deep Space Nine and Voyager and even Enterprise don't have to deal with that. They were lucky enough to be produced and written during a time when TV was in the middle of changing yes. to where we had characters that were consistent from beginning to end. And there was a more of a focus on consistent writing. Yeah. And well, yes. When Ser- you, serialized. Yeah. Serialized writing. But like when it comes to Voyager too, is kind of like there are episodes that still connect with me today more than some of the episodes in TNG. Yeah. Because I, I agree. The writing that was in Voyager was taken to another level. That was because we saw the the you know evolution of Star Trek writing from TOS, TNG down to Deep DS9 and then into Voyager. And with Voyager you saw the cleaner writing. Yeah. And I, to this day, I don't understand why some, some of my friends basically just poo-poo Voyager. I just think that a lot of Star Trek fans, and I try to be objective many times, so I won't throw myself into that. I'm always open to new things. 
that's why I enjoy Discovery for the most part. Oh, yeah. Picard is a disaster in a lot of ways just because of the writing. Because of the writing. I don't mind the ideas and what they were trying to do. I think the concept is fine, but the, the, execution. the execution was very poorly done. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of Star Trek fans don't like change. A lot of old school Star Trek fans. That's why TOS people hated on TNG. Gee. And then TNG hated on Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. The Deep Space Nine fans hated on Voyager. Voyager. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't like change <laughs> for the most part. And, and that's unfortunate. Okay, Dave, we do need to wrap this show. What was your grade? I did the same as you in 95. Okay, look at that. 95 across the board. I do want to thank everyone for listening. Also, please find us on Patreon. If you enjoy our show, we really do need your assistance. Uh, Patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. If you pledge 3 to $5 a month, you gain access to additional content every single month. At the $3 tier, you receive all of our pre-shows that we do before all of our discussions where we banter about latest Star Trek news in a more casual setting. Also, just kind of shoot the shit about Trek, whatever we feel like. Uh, then for the $5 setting or $5 tier, you get additional formal discussions, much like this show where we break down specific topics and we get into the nitty gritty of the Borg, seven of nine specific storylines, themes of Star Trek, philosophical aspects uh, during um, those discussions. And that's part of the $5 tier. So if you choose to do that, you will gain access to a lot of additional content immediately because we've already put it's got to be at least a thousand hours worth of Star Trek content already on Patreon. So patreon.com slash Rainman digital pledge. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.